it's gotten very cold here. It's just snap. Like within two days, it went from pretty pleasant to being really cold. And we're still sitting outside for tea in the mornings, even though we're now wearing our gloves and using the tea that that requires the hottest temperature. Mm -hmm. But what's what's been striking me so is the change in the light that I know we just passed solstice and I can see it in the way there's still that crystalline winter light and it's so different than light at other times of the year. Is that true where you are? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's a, yes, there's a brilliance. It's almost like the, the light gets condensed into the fewer hours and, and shines even stronger you know it's whereas in the summer the light is so warm here in the summer it's so golden um but yeah there is a difference in the winter although that said it depends on the day you know there are days here when you still get we sat outside three days ago we sat outside um you know it was a still day and and when we when we had woken up in the morning the temperature was you know, like below 32, there was a frost on the ground. But by 11 o'clock in the morning, we were able to sit in our wicker chairs with our backs to the stone wall of the house and just sit very comfortably in a, in a, in a, in a sweater and a light jacket, just feeling the sun and the sun. For it, it only lasted that particular feeling for maybe half an hour, you know. But mm-hmm. in that half an hour, you felt, oh, all seasons are within each season. Um, yes. It was, it was really quite beautiful. And what do you see now in the winter? What is, what's the architecture of the garden from where you sit? You know, this, this building that we live in was once a, a stone barn. And so the, our front doors are, oh, the doors themselves are probably only about 12 feet tall. But then above that we have, and they're glass, they're glass doors. And above that is this circular window that's just really huge because they had once been these very tall wooden barn doors. So I'm looking out at this semi, through this semicircular window to the pig, old pig stall. And against the pig stall is the rose tree that I think I've told you about that we think has become a tree because its roots are, are in the old pig shit. Um, <laughs> but, but this tree is, this year is really loath to drop its leaves. Usually by this time of year, it, it doesn't have a leaf on it. But it, I would say that it's two-thirds still full of its leaves. And as I'm looking at you, they're, they're, they're really being battered about by the wind. And I can see that on one branch, there is one rose that is hanging on. Wow. It's closed. It's a closed bud. But by golly, it is really, you can feel it still struggling to open. Um, and I just, I just find that amazing. Um, and this morning when I was bringing in the firewood, I noticed on my Cubana rose, which is a, a rose shrub, um, just oh, maybe six feet from, from the doorway, that one of the, there are two uh, rosebuds that have hung on 
and by golly, one of them opened today. And I mean, we've had two weeks of frost, and oh that bud stayed closed for the whole two weeks and waited for this mild day. And it's it's a small flower; it's not its normal size. But by golly, it opened. It's like it it lived. It waited to live life, even though its life was going to be so much, so much diminished than it would be in the summer. And I just find that so moving. That is so moving and so beautiful. Yeah. What's interesting here, as you were talking, I was thinking about my experience with that hanging on, which was the opposite side, which is we had some mild days um, over the weekend. And so we did the garden cleanup that we had put off for way too long. And one of the things that was that I was keen on doing now that all the leaves were dropped was to see where the Japanese wisteria had insidiously made its way oh. into our trees. And oh my gosh, that thing, someone before us, and we've been here 20 years, planted that thing and it won't give up. Really? And so I went and I crawled under the branches of our service berry and sure enough, it was just wrapped around the branches and it then had sent tendrils three or four feet in the air to then latch around the dogwood tree. (laughs) So I had my clippers and I was just clipping away, you know, as close to the ground as I could. And then, you know, you'd had, I had to clip it because it just wrapped and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped. So every single one I would have to clip and unpeel until I got rid of the whole thing. Um, That's amazing, isn't it? And boy, they grow fast, those things, once they get started. And we've, you know, every year we go and we cut it down and every year it comes back. And it's just, I realized, all right, this is just what life is. There are some aspects that are just, you have to wake up and take care of it because otherwise next year it's going to be way worse so yeah it'll suffocate everything yeah yeah yeah. so trying to main that maintain the balance even in a small garden is really quite something isn't it yes yes and ours is tiny we have a tiny tiny garden but you know julie whenever you talk about your garden it i envision it just it's so full when you name name over all these times that we talk all the different things that are growing and I see you out there I see you snipping away and for me your your garden is this huge wonderland and it reminds me a little bit of um, the garden that I grew up in Uh, when I went back to see it actually for the first time since I was 12 I went back with Joel in the 90s to show him where I grew up. And I said, and come and see the back garden. You know, I had described (laughs) it all to him. And we looked over the fence and it was this tiny little piece of land that to me growing up was, you know, like acres. Yes. Um, And I think that also is one of the wonders of, of nature is that no matter how small a piece you have it will give you so much knowledge so much experience so much magic so much disappointment (laughs) it can be the size of a handkerchief 
and it will encapsulate the the entire experience of being. Yes, that's true, and and that the pleasure is in watching the changes, which you can watch even in a postage stamp-sized garden. Yes. And, uh, you know, the other thing that we did was we cut back the irises, which I hadn't cut back yet, and we still had some of the seed heads, which I Mm. cut and brought inside and put a few on my tea tray, and they look just like baby birds when you look at them from above because they've opened... And it's like baby birds waiting to be fed. It, they were just these beautiful oh. little, little tripart mouths that had opened, and they still oh. rattled. The seeds were still inside, so it just made me realize. You know, I love irises; they're my favorite flower. Perhaps I do too. I do too. Do you divide yours every? So we often? have not yet, and that's I think the work mm-hmm. for this coming year because. They've become now a sort of, uh, the center is empty and it's a circle maybe a foot and a half wide. And so they're huge, but that, uh, I'd love if you have any any words of wisdom for when and how to divide them. I'm anxious about it because I don't want to hurt them, but I know that part of it is. I know, I, I actually had a whole wall of irises um, oh, many years ago when I was living upstate New York. And I, I was so relieved that I had to end up selling the house before I had to divide <laughs> the irises. <laughs> it was like something like, you know, I'll deliver the baby, but don't make me cut the umbilical cord. It's oh, so funny, Maggie. <laughs> so, but have you done it? Did you, have you, have you? No. Ah. No, I haven't, no. And I've actually um, put off planting irises because I don't want to deal with that. Just like I don't, um, I don't grow uh, dahlias, which I adore, because you have to dig them up right. and put them inside in the winter, and I'm, I'm just so afraid I'll kill them. <laughs> and that's the thing, is that so much of this... Yeah, this is the part of gardening that I am still finding... I'm so tentative about because I look at even yeah. like the serviceberry, which is a native plant to our neighborhood, and and it's the first thing to flower every spring. It's so beautiful, but it has so many trunks that come up from a kind of central place that they all start crossing each other and rubbing on mm. each other. And I know I'm mm. supposed to cut this thing back, but yeah, I don't want to. It's so pretty, and I it just makes me nervous, and I don't want to hurt it. Yeah, well, you know, I, there's, I think there's two schools of thought with that, too. I mean, it's the same with roses. They're, they always say, you know, cut the, and any branches that are crossing each other, you know, prune that, prune one of them back. Um, and I think that with some roses, you most definitely want to do that if you want it to bloom well and also not to get uh, leaf rot. But there are other roses where you, you, you don't want to do that. You want it to be this wild, yes. wonderful thing that lives its life out the way it's decided to live. And I think, again, there's, there's that balance in gardening between, you know, what it, where, how do you prune for health? Yes. But how do you let go of um, that kind of formal perfection, which I personally don't like in a garden? I like my garden to look a little wild. Me too. Um, so yeah, there's luckily, a between. yeah, <laughs> right. What is that big, big trouble? <laughs> yeah, as we cut back, oh. I mean, 
not only did we cut back the irises, but we cut back these grasses that had just some of them are, were intentionally planted and some of them were just weeds that we had just let grow. And it was just like, okay, now's the time. Knowing that we can let things go a little bit helps yeah. a lot. Well, one of the great things about living in, in Italy is you see the fearlessness of, of pruning here. Mm. I mean, they'll, you know, you'll see this gorgeous old olive tree and the, the next winter you drive past and usually they start to prune around January and the thing is just it looks like it's been brutalized and you go oh my god what have they done you know they've hacked off these huge uh, much like um, what do they call it pollarding right in, yes. in France and yet by golly come the next year that tree looks absolutely magnificent you know, so I, I do take some courage from the locals about hacking things back, but uh, and it it's not is, easy. You know, as you're describing that, I'm thinking about the challenges of, of the kind of creative work that you do, that I do. So much of the work is not in the putting it out on paper. It's on what you do once it's out there to yeah. prune it back to what it's supposed to be. That's right. And it does require that kind of willingness to shed what's not necessary, even if yeah. it is beautiful. That's right. Kill your little darlings. Yeah. I guess, I guess one could view life as one long editing process. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to have both, because unless you have something to edit, you know, you have yes. to have the output and then the than the, the pruning. So, Julie, what are you going to do for New Year's? We're going to be quiet here, I think. Um, yeah. And how about you? We have friends down from Provence who rented a house nearby, and, of course, our, our local friends, Johnny and Luana, we all have plans to make a dinner together, and then after dinner, we play a ridiculous game that we discovered in Pienza uh, a couple of New Year's ago. They put a long uh, table out in the town, and the... <laughs> <laughs> the men play this ridiculous but wonderful game. There's a bread here called uh, pan forte, which is like a, a very flat fruit uh, cake. Um, very, very rich and quite delicious, but it looks like a disc. And uh, the men of the town divide into teams and they throw this disc of fruitcake <laughs> along this table. Um, and it's like whoever can get it closest to the end of the table, uh, that's the winning team. So we, we decided that we had to make that a tradition. And last year, uh, I'm sad to say that we divided into men and women and the men won, Joel won. He got his uh, uh, pan forte disc to literally balance half on, half off <laughs> the table. Whereas most of mine went actually under the table. <laughs> so, so that will be uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, but on New Year's Day, what I would like um, would be to start my morning off the way that I would like my year to start off, which is by doing a little yoga and going for a walk with Joel in, in the countryside. Mm. Um, well, I hope that that is the way you could begin your year and that your year continues with that kind of pleasure and happiness and 
being outside in the world. Mm, thank you, Julie. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Bon Capodanno. <laughs> bon Capodanno. <laughs> bye bye. Ciao, ciao, amore. Ciao.